Hello, and welcome to the IDI, a podcast by and for market access professionals. I'm your host, Ira Apfel. Each episode, we conduct in-depth interviews to get payer insights that help you optimize your value strategy and commercialization and give people access to the healthcare they deserve. The IDI is presented by Valuate Health Consultancy. Follow Valuate on LinkedIn or visit us at valuatehealth.com to learn more. My guest today is John Hennessy. He's a senior vice president with Valuate specializing in oncology, and he holds an MBA from Duke University's Fuqua School of Business. John is well-known and highly respected for his experience in cancer care. He's been in the operations side. He's been in the business development side. And now he's helping organizations figure out their value strategy with regards to oncology. Today, I'm going to talk to John about ASCO 2022, the annual meeting of the American Society of Clinical Oncology that just ended a couple of days ago. But I'm also going to ask him about some breaking news from this U.S. Supreme Court, a decision about 340B uh, pay cuts to hospitals and what all that means. So we're going to talk about uh, the Supreme Court decision first and then ASCO, what John heard there, what he saw from this important event. And so without further ado, here's John Hennessy. John Hennessy, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Ira, it's great to be here. So let's start with some breaking news that just came over the uh, wire. I'm dating myself here, but nonetheless, the Supreme Court overturned a 340B pay cut to hospitals. Uh, what's the impact of that for market access? Can you break it down really quickly before we move on to the the, the, the big stuff of the podcast? Yeah, so uh, it's an interesting ruling. It, it, it the, the idea that um, hospitals were going to uh, take a pay cut for 340B uh, for having access to a 340B ish, uh, discount has been, you know, sort of a, an issue for uh, Medicare and for those hospitals for for a long time. And back in 2018, Medicare, it really because of a lack of action on the on the congressional side, made sort of an independent decision that they were going to change the reimbursement rate. And Medicare by statute is meant to cover the costs of care and really nothing more. And I think the folks at HHS saw, thought they saw that there was a, a, a margin there that they they shouldn't be overpaying on. And so they went ahead and did this, uh, th- this pay cut without doing the research needed. And it wasn't until 2020 where they actually did the cost survey that led them to uh, where the policy sits today. So I think what you're seeing just on the face of it is, Supreme Court has said, listen, what HHS did independently for 2018 and 2019 uh, can't be justified without the cost survey. The cost survey was done in 2020, and I think what's going to take place is you know, some reckoning for 2018, 2019. Uh, but really, from a go-forward basis, I don't know that, that reimbursement 2020 and beyond is going to change a whole lot. I think what it does say is that the Supreme Court is willing to um, step up to the plate and help solve some of the challenges that 340B hospitals, uh, that manufacturers, that HHS, and, and quite frankly, commercial payers have with trying to figure out how to find a balance here. You know, the, the 340B program was meant to help uh, hospitals uh, as so, sort of a way to enhance care to uh, lower income and socially disadvantaged populations. You know, there's plenty of argument as to whether that's really happening today or not. Uh, but the fact that some of these unknowns will be resolved and, and someone's willing to step in and and sort of decide you know, these issues, I think, uh, 
we'll get some of the uncertainty out of the system. The, the, the healthcare system doesn't like uncertainty. Uh, so getting us a path forward, I think will be helpful and, and there'll be winners and losers, but at least knowing what the rules of the game is going forward will be really helpful. And of course, it's probably not optimal, no, no matter what side of the uh, decision you're on, it's probably not optimal for the U.S. Supreme Court to be kind of making these decisions. You, you probably want more something along the lines of, uh, uh, you know, uh, Congress uh, or, or, or even HH, HHS uh, kind of enacting rules. Yeah, I think, you. I mean, the ideal circumstances, you you do want Congress to, to be, you know, creating the rules and you want the the executive branch to be administering the rules. Um, but that's been challenging for us. And we can go all the way back to sequestration, you know, which has been around for a long time, which is basically a 2% cut to all Medicare services, which was sort of a sweeping balanced budgeting effort uh, that that was uh, the result of indecision in the legislative branch. So yeah, we're, we're sort of stuck with, um, you know, having the three branches of government sort of wade us through these, these challenging periods. And, and for an industry as big as healthcare and, and with as much change going on, uh, it's tough to be as nimble as you would like to be when you're not sure what the regulations are going to turn out to be. I want to turn now to uh, something that we, uh, had planned to talk about before this big decision came down, and that is uh, ASCO, the uh, annual meeting of the uh, American Society of Clinical Oncology that you just attended. That's a big event uh, in the uh, the annual schedule here. And if you could just start off by talking about why ASCO is so, so important, what comes out of it, uh, you know, why is it such a, a heavy-hitting event? Yeah, so it, it is probably the, the biggest single scientific gathering for uh, oncology and, and to some extent hematology as well uh, for the, the entire world. There are other meetings that are important. Uh, the European Hematology uh, Association just met this past weekend. That's an important meeting. Um, ASH is the uh, hematology meeting uh, in uh, typically in December. Um, there's also um, a, a big uh, hematology oncology meeting in September in Europe. So there are other meetings, but this is sort of the biggest one. And I think this year's attendance was over 40,000, although more than 10,000 of those were virtual attendees only. Uh, but it's, it is really, uh, it's a big deal for scientists. It's a big deal for practicing oncologists. It's a big deal for um, really all stakeholders in this business, including uh, investors, you know, trying to figure out what the, you know, the next opportunities are to um, to, to advance the science of oncology, and, and as big as that opportunity is, you know, for for young uh, physicians, for fellows, for folks really starting their careers, the opportunity to present their research in the poster sessions is sort of really a grassroots way of seeing that that um that we're advancing care not only in the at the 40,000 foot level but at the 500 foot level as well when you you say uh, it's a big event and it, obviously it sounds like um, the, the the big event in oncology and in hematology does does actual news or or um, kind of uh, ground breaking events come out of it or is it just more like a just just a big meeting and in, in, in a kind of a trading of ideas and, 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 and papers and the like, or is, is there actual news that, come, that comes out of there? Uh, walk me through that. 
Yeah, so I it, it's a little of both, right? So uh, there certainly is big news that comes out of there, and and absolutely the financial markets are keeping track of it. You know, the the big um, uh, papers, the big investigations are embargoed, so uh, as to to keep that information from coming out um, a little bit too early. It, it may be less so than in a the current information age than it used to be. But certainly there are uh, there are big uh, stories that come out of it. The the story about in her two, and uh, the HR uh, low population of breast cancer patients was was absolutely big news. And even the response to the 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 um, the data that was reported was big news. So it, it absolutely is a, a an international driver of of news. It it impacts um, the standard of care. You'll see at some of these presentations. Uh, and then her too was one of them. This they, this is practice changing, and those are the words you're looking for to see if it will be a big change. But for you know the the average oncologist who's at that meeting, it's very much about meeting your peers. And for many of the folks who were there, it's been over two years since they've seen people they've been working with on clinical trials, on drug development, uh, and on other activities. So it it is as much as it is that big deal, that news creating thing. At the end of the day, it's about people meeting people and, and reestablishing relationships and, and working together to advance the science. On a larger, higher level, what were some of the big trends or themes that you saw at this year's ASCO? Uh, not just a kind of a, a, a news peg where there was like some kind of study that came out, but like the overarching themes and trends. Yeah, I, I think there were uh, there were a lot of things that were going on. I think the probably the the biggest overarching trend was people were excited to see each other. Um, I it, the I think there were over twenty seven thousand uh, live attendees, and you know the uh, the McCormick Place in Chicago is a very big convention center. It's it's one of two in the United States that can handle um, the ASCO annual meeting. That's why it's been there for many many years. Uh, it's, it was amazing to be with that many people, um, and it, it, you, you sometimes get that feeling in airports, but here everybody's talking to each other, and everybody wants to see each other, so it was really exciting. Uh, it was exciting to see people from other parts of the planet. We haven't seen people from overseas all that much, so seeing you know oncologists from Italy, from France, and, and from China was really exciting to see. Um, those are sort of the, that was sort of the big vibe that came out of it. Um, but I think there were some practice changing elements too. I think it was exciting to see um, you know, physicians talking to each other about taking care of their patients. I think it was really uh, interesting to see the uh, emphasis on uh, making sure that what we're doing at these meetings is impacting all of the oncology community. A lot of focus on um, socially disadvantaged populations. Uh, a fair amount of focus on you know the the effects of financial and logistical toxicity on patients, and particularly how that may impact um, some populations more than others. So, it is a scientific meeting, but to see the focus on the social challenges as well was really interesting. And you've been to ASCO before, and so I'm wondering if that focus on the uh, the the social determinants of health, if you will, the the external. Um, uh, ramifications like financial toxicity that you uh, mentioned. Uh, has that been a, a focus in the past or did it really ramp up at this meeting? You know, it really ramped up at this meeting and you you heard it a lot at the question and answer sessions and 
what really makes these meetings is, is the question and answer sessions. It's that live conversation with the presenters. And I can remember uh, several uh, sessions where the first question was about those populations. Uh, it, it's worth noting, I was at a, a conference not long ago in April. It was the Tandem Conference, which is focused on uh, blood marrow transplantation, cellular therapies. There were a whole lot of presentations that the presenter was remote, that the, in, in many cases, even recorded uh, sessions. Every session I went to at ASCO was live with the presenter in the room. And that was a very different vibe. So I think you can approach some of these issues more in that setting than 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 in others. So yeah, it was it was more of an issue. It, it started coming out in the ASCO Quality uh, Symposium back in September last year in Boston, which was a much smaller group, you know, much different focus. But those questions and the urgency around that issue, I think, is has certainly picked up in the last few years. And it seems like it also it was. Based on what you're saying, it was wasn't just top down like the the people running the session saying, "Hey, um, don't forget about this." It was also bubbling up from the attendees. Is that correct? Yeah, I think that's that's true. Uh, the the um, the people who approached the microphone were very bold, asking their questions, uh, which was really exciting, um, and, and so that was a, a fantastic thing. You know, the 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 poster sessions were uh, are always sort of on the side. Uh, at, at these meetings, there's a, a it, it looks almost like a car show with all the the manufacturer booths and everything else going on. It's very exciting, but there was a lot of traffic on the poster side, and I think it's because we're starting to see uh, the, the people are asking really good, meaningful questions, and and the ability of small and inv- smaller investigators to to ask meaningful questions and to get them out there. I think is it has certainly uh, accelerated in the last few years. So. Yeah, I think there the um, there's certainly a lot of what seems to be you know the big players, the big um, uh, you know institutions, the big manufacturers uh, at these uh, sessions. But uh, yeah, there's still a role for the little guy out there, and I think that's what one of the things I enjoy most about ASCO. One of the things you also mentioned um, was that uh, polypharmacy in older cancer patients was a topic at ASCO, and I don't, I don't know that surprised me a, a, a little bit. Uh, is it is it getting better? Uh, is it getting worse uh, with uh, um, you know digitalization making it um, somehow more complicated, or, or is it still a challenge? What, what's your um, take on that? So I, I think the the uh, recognition of polypharmacy is getting better. If, if EMRs do nothing else, they gather lots and lots of information. Uh, when I was running uh, an oncology practice a few years ago, we used to do what we called the the brown bag test, which was we would ask the patient to bring all put all their medicines in a brown bag and bring them in so we could figure out what they're taking. Uh, now that we're doing more e-prescribing, now that we have more integration of of medical records between pharmacies and between uh, you know the the uh, integrated delivery networks, we're starting to see that folks are taking a lot of medications. We can identify them so. The good news is we know that more patients are are fitting this category, and it shouldn't surprise us. You know, oncology patients are by and large uh, older patients, which uh, have you know cardiovascular issues. They may have musculoskeletal issues, so it shouldn't surprise us. I think we're starting to ask good questions about when we are giving somebody an anti oncolytic ther- an oncolytic therapy or, or a, a therapy to uh, change the course of their their cancer journey. 
what is it doing to um, the other disease states they may have? I, I can tell you in prostate cancer, we're, we're very much focused on that. We're focused on the um, the cardiovascular impacts of some of the prostate cancer medicines. And, you know, for a slow growing disease, you want to make sure that the therapy you're providing to control that disease isn't accelerating another disease state or isn't, isn't uh, somehow, you know, making that therapy less effective than it is expected to be by the physicians who are treating that. So uh, I, I think it's, it's, uh, it's certainly heightened in its, per, uh, its importance uh, but by the same token, as much as medical records do a great job of capturing information, they're not so good at putting that information out and getting that in front of the physician. So still a lot of work to do in that area. Do you think that between uh, what, what, what you saw uh, discussed about uh, polypharmacy and kind of just overall the people asking the, the tougher questions or, or tough questions about uh, cost and, and, and the impact of, of uh, care on uh, caregivers, even not just patients. Do you think that makes things more complicated uh, for the for the treatment and and for oncology in general, or do you think it just kind of makes it better because we're really taking a kind of a holistic look? We're looking at everything now, not just uh, you know a treatment or a, a drug therapy. I think it's both. Um, I, I think in a perfect world, we'd like to think that we offer the best therapy to patients, regardless of cost. And I think there are certainly oncologists out there that that's the commitment they've made is that that cost should not be an issue. However, um, we live in the real world um, and, and costs are an issue for patients. Transportation is an issue. Caregiver support is an issue. Uh, food insecurity is an issue. Uh, and so all those things make it much more complex than just saying you have lung cancer. This is the me best medicine for you. Uh, so I think it is um, it. it it by default makes it more complex, but managed well using shared decision-making techniques, you know, making sure we're thinking, looking at that holistic approach, I think at the end of the day is, is best for patients. You know, one of the things that we did see in a couple of posters is that, you know, it's challenging for patients to, to have that conversation sometimes with their physicians. And we're working with some of our partners to, to help facilitate those conversations um, but it's it's not always a, an even relationship. It's you know the, the successful relationship for the patient, for the caregiver, and the oncologist really relies heavily on trust uh, and and transparency and and willingness to have those conversations from both sides are are terribly important. If there's a sense that there's, that isn't there, that you know that willingness to have shared decision making conversation or, or or time or other pressures are influencing it. Um, it, you, you get something suboptimal. So I think the good news is um, we're approaching these issues and, and bringing more inputs into these decisions. Um, but it is more complicated. It, it's more time consuming. Um, and it, there, there aren't a lot of perfect answers to it. What's exciting is that we're recognizing the problem and we're working the problem. Uh, and, you know, 15, 20 years ago, maybe not so much. So ASCO 2022, Break it down. What, what does it all mean for market access professionals? What's the big takeaway for them? Yeah, I think the big takeaway for for those of us in the market access space is we, we the science is is amazing. We are producing opportunities for patients uh, that have never existed before. We're giving uh, oncologists more tools than they've ever had before. But at some point, it gets kind of overwhelming, um, and so. Uh, helping the the uh, the oncologist, the 
big oncology practices, the small oncology practices, figure out best care for patients and best way to support patients is really important. I think from a payer perspective, you don't see a lot of payers at, at that meeting, but they're looking at that meeting and they're looking at the science, they're looking at things farther in advance, um, trying to figure out what, what the, the best approach they can take in a very complicated area is is challenging for them as well. So when I approach that meeting with my market access hat on, I sort of try to think about what the implications are going to be, you know, six, eight, 12, 18 months down the road and what do we need to do today to ensure that when these, these um, early studies, these early findings are ready for the bedside, that we've addressed the coverage conversations, that we've addressed the value conversations so that we're not, um, you know, keeping... Uh, the patients from getting the care that they need for the for the challenges that they have in their lives. John Hennessy, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I really appreciate being asked and uh, look forward to talking again soon. That's it for this episode of the IDI. Thanks again to my guest, John Hennessy. Be sure to follow him on LinkedIn and be sure to follow the IDI on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow Valuate on LinkedIn visit us on the web at valuatehealth.com to learn more. Thanks for listening and have a great rest of your week.